education or anything. So please be encouraged by that. That's not a, uh, we're not trying to give you more work or more responsibility. We just think it's important that you're trained and know what to do. Um, and for those who are interested in volunteering in our children's ministry or just volunteering at all and serving in our church, we would encourage you to talk to us about that. And we'd love to talk to you about dialogue about how you can serve here at Virginia Fellowship Church. Uh, the other thing is, is our Baptist Catechism. Um, so this is question, I believe, question 54. I want to read the question if you would read the answer with me. What are we especially taught the back? Sorry, I need to read the question. What are we especially taught by these words? Before me in the first commandment. And the answer. These words, before me in the first commandment, teach us that God who sees all things and takes notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. And you can, you can go on the digital hymnal and you can see those questions if you're curious. So this is the, the last uh, kind of sermon in our value series that we've been doing. And obviously we only have four values and this is the fifth sermon. So you're wondering what am I going to talk about? Um, I'm going to talk about our mission statement. <coughs> Every organization has a mission statement, right? Um, the church has a mission statement. Our Redeemer has a mission statement. Actually, the mission statement is on this banner. It says, we exist, meaning Redeemer exists, to leave a legacy of faith by loving people and engaging our culture to the glory of God. You're like, well, okay, that's a lot of words. What does that mean? Basically, what that means is that we're called as a church to disciple all generations. No matter if you're a college student or mom or dad with children, if you're one who's retired and kind of uh, someone who's a senior adult, it doesn't matter if you're a child, we are called to disciple all generations to the word of God. And that's why we're here. That's what we're doing as a church. Worship, this, this right here is a discipleship opportunity. I'm teaching through scriptures. We're singing songs that are rooted in scripture. We're wanting you to rely on God's word so that you are more like Christ. The Great Commission, as, as, um, as we talked about a little bit last week, that didn't preach on in Romans 10, but he referred to the Great Commission. We are called to make disciples of all nations, right? We're called to make disciples of all generations as well. That is our mission here. And I want to talk about, um, I'll, I'll only read first, and then I'll kind of get into this. Um, if you have a Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, I love this passage. Um, not sure if this is a passage you're familiar with or not, that's okay. So we have our Bibles here. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I just love this. This is Paul at the end of his life, right? He's he's done all of these things. He's he's traveled all over the Roman Empire and he's planted churches all over. And he has seen the gospel go to literally the end of the earth. And this is what he is saying to Timothy, his disciple, someone who is. He's mentored. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 8. It says, I charge you in the presence of God. So Paul is charging Timothy. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming with, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching, itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and, run, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. As, as for you, 
Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelism, fulfill your ministry. Verse 6. For I am ready, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. Let's pray before we get into this. Dear Lord, I thank you so much again for this day. Lord, we praise you for your goodness. And Lord, I just want to pray for Joe and Chelsea Hearn. Uh, some of the people in this room don't know who I'm talking about. That family was very important to Redeemer. Joe and Chelsea helped us plant this church. They're dear, dear friends of many of us in this room. And uh, we got word uh, recently that they lost a child. And But I pray for them. And I know they're not here right now. And we can't go run off and see them today. But Lord, I pray for any old person here that know them. That they would simply reach out to them. Text or call and encourage them, Lord, that you would work through them to bring them encouragement, that as you encourage them, as I'm about to pray, that you would encourage them, Lord, that you would use us to be the means of your encouragement over us. Lord, we pray for churches in our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our context, in our environment here, Lord, that are struggling, pastors that are struggling, uh, staff that are struggling, members and congregants that are struggling, Lord, I pray for them, and pray that you would lift their spirits. For anyone here that is dealing with sickness, just struggling with a lot of work and a lot, and just exhausted, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, this day, that you would give them strength, that you would encourage them this morning. We thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it, Lord, to encourage us and convict us, and spur us, Lord, to righteousness, and spur us to holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, I like this passage this time, and uh, I really, uh, especially verse. Verse seven. And with that being said, you know I I was watching uh, last night. I was watching the uh, Georgia Notre Dame football game. Uh, it's kind of funny. I told Lisa I said I'll be right back. And what I did is I went downstairs, turned on the Georgia Notre Dame game, and watched the first quarter, <laughs> and then came back. Um, that was basically my plan. I'm, I want to watch the first quarter. And it was funny. They, 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 and this is a big game, right? If you're a Notre Dame fan, I'm sorry. You know they lost, but uh, this is a huge game for both schools. And there was a lot of people excited about this game down in Georgia, especially. And so both teams run out of the tunnel, and they interview the coaches, which honestly, if I had to be interviewed and I was a head coach, I'd have like 90,000 90, screaming fans, and I'm pumped for this game, I probably don't want to be interviewed, right? But they, get, they interview these coaches, and they ask the Georgia's coach, like, what is this kind of like, what did you say to your team for running out of the game? He basically said, you know, you don't win a game in the first quarter. You also don't lose a game. Right? You had to play all four quarters. And actually, it's funny that Georgia was losing after the first quarter. They were actually losing after halftime. They ended up winning the game in the third and fourth quarter. So he proved to be true that you can't, you don't win or lose a game in the first quarter. And there's a lot of times where teams play really well in the first two quarters of the first quarter and then lose in the last two. I, there was a year uh, when Tennessee was actually good. We're not good anymore. There was one year that we were really good, and we, we would always outscore teams in the first quarter. But then we would lose games in the, in the last two quarters. We wouldn't finish well. And, and I, I always enjoy watching uh, teams, or I enjoy watching uh, runners especially, who are not winning that last lap, but then like find a different gear, right? 
and are able to overcome the person uh, that was leading and winning the race. There was actually a race, uh, I think a few years ago, where the USC Trojans women's track team had a 4 by 4 meter relay. And on the last leg, this girl, she's probably about a 200 meter, which is about uh, uh, half of the track behind. And she caught up to the person leading in the last 100 meters, just found some gear and just ran right past the, uh, I think it was the University of Purdue's uh, uh, runner, and they ended up winning the national championship, right? So they finished well. And if you want to, if I want to be honest, this is this challenge that Paul gives to, well, basically Paul's telling uh, to Timothy about how he finished the race. I, I read that, and I'm so, um, I'm so motivated and inspired by that passage. Finishing the race well. And what does that have to do with mission? So just a kind of a, kind of a main idea. The mission of Redeemer Fellowship Church is to disciple all generations through Christ's word to finish well and influence others to be to love Christ appearing. And how, how do we do that? Like, how does a church disciple all generations? Well, basically, Paul kind of gives us somewhat of a formula as as, uh, as Pastor didn't preach that last week about the formula, right, of growing the church through evangelism, through commissioning. But basically, Paul gives us a formula here on how to disciple and how to disciple all generations. So the kind of the first point here is the king of the mission, the king of the mission. And so we start here in verse 4. And if you don't know very much about Paul and Timothy's relationship, you know, Paul came to know Christ in a pretty remarkable way as on the path to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and, and he came to know Christ and he became a, a, a pastor, an apostle, an evangelist and went across the Roman Empire uh, proclaiming the gospel and starting churches in the Roman Empire. And as he did that, he was somewhat, when he was first a believer, there was a lot of people in the church that were afraid of Paul for obvious reasons because he... Murder. I mean, he basically murdered very many Christians and, and threw a lot of them in jail. So you can understand their kind of a fear of Paul. But what was, who was the person who came to Paul and, and encouraged him and was someone who kind of kind of was a mentor to Paul was Barnabas, right? Barnabas came, came along and, and encouraged Paul and they actually went on mission together. When the Antioch church in Acts 13, they sent out Paul and Barnabas to go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. But later on in Acts 16, we see this person, this individual named Timothy. And Paul kind of does a similar thing that Barnabas does to him. He takes him under his wing and he mentors him in the faith and mentors him in ministry. And so Paul is coming towards the end of his life and he's leaving some, some teachings, some um, words of encouragement and challenge to Timothy. And he says here in the first verse of chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ. Basically what Paul is saying is, is that I give you this charge, and he's about to tell him what he's going to charge him to do, but first off, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, saying, who is the real person, or who is the real entity that is charging Timothy? It's not really not Paul. God is charging, Christ is charging Timothy through Paul. And we understand who really is in charge here. It's not Paul. It's not Timothy. But Christ Jesus is in control. He is the ruler. He is the king of the church. I think of Ephesians chapter 1, 
21 and 23 reminds me, especially as a pastor who really is in charge of his church. For about, for about all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age one to come, and he being Christ, put all, God put all things under Christ's feet and give him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. Christ's rule and his authority sets the mission of the church, right? The statement on the banner is not something that we came up with that is completely outside of Christ's rule. He's the head of the church. If we do anything, if our mission is to do anything other than what Christ commands us to do, then we are failing as a church and should not exist, actually. But we're failing to accomplish Christ's mission and God's mission. So our mission and our what we're called to do, our charge, purely comes under the authority of Christ. And Paul basically says that to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God, under the authority of Christ. He says, who is the judge of the living and the dead? He judges all. And by his appearing and by his kingdom, that his kingdom is coming, that his kingdom has arrived when Christ came into the world, when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, when he sits at the right hand of his Father Almighty. His kingdom has come, and his kingdom is spread and enacted in the world through his church. There's a lot of authority and a lot of rule that's being, that's being uh, described here in Christ, that he is the king of the church's mission. And we, knowing that Christ is ruler, that he is king, that he has authority to set the mission of the church, we are to be faithful to him. We are to understand the power that we have in Christ, that Christ's mission, we are faithful to that mission, but also it's the one that gives us power. And also when he talks about his appearing in his kingdom, it gives us a certainty that this will all be that Christ's kingdom will fully be established. And that all things will come underneath his feet. That he will have all rule. And it will be present for all to see. The second point after the king of the mission is the substance of the mission. What is the substance of the mission? So Paul continues here to Timothy, starting in verse 2. He says, preach the word, proclaim the word. What is the word, the gospel, the truth of God's word? Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and with teaching. Preach the word. The church are the people of the word, right? If we cease to preach the word, we would cease to be the people of the word. And we would cease to be a church that matters. A church that matters is not based off of many people they have in their pews or how big their facility is. A church that matters is one that's faithful to the preaching of the word. When we're a people on mission, when we think of preaching of the word, we're not simply thinking of worship services and a pulpit and a preacher. We're also thinking of, 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 of evangelism and the proclamation of the gospel to those who are lost. That's preaching of the word. So a church that simply preaches the word but doesn't actually share the word outside its walls is a church that doesn't matter. A church that matters, a church that is being faithful to the mission of Christ is one who's preaching the word in the building, in the pews, in the worship service on Sunday, and also Monday through Saturday. You're sending people and commissioning people to go across the world to proclaim the gospel, to preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. What he's saying is do it when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. 
Sometimes it's not convenient to preach the word. Especially if you're preaching through a series that lands on a, on a passage that really kind of does a lot of conviction to maybe some of the people in the room that you know. But it says be, to be ready, to be alert, to preach the word when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Even to think of it this way, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient and you're persistent to preach it when it's not convenient. Persistence in preaching the word is a struggle, right? It's like, well, we'll preach the word on Easter and on Christmas, but we won't preach the word during the week because we want people to come to church and we want the church to grow, and we don't think it's convenient to preach the word to people who don't want to hear it. We have to be persistent in preaching the word. We have to preach a word that corrects people. That's what reproof means, to correct them, to rebuke them, to say things that will bring conviction to their heart. To also preach words that are encouraging, to exhort them, to encourage them, to comfort them through the word. We want people to be mature in their faith. I said the mission of the church, if you wanted to, to kind, of, uh, kind of get it down to three words, is to disciple all generations. And we want people of all generations to mature in the faith through the word. And how do we do that? Well, we correct you when you're wrong through the word. We rebuke you when you're living in sin, and the word says, come back. And we comfort and exhort and encourage you when you need encouragement. And he says to do it with all endurance and teaching. To do it with great endurance and with great care. To preach the word. We're not the army here, okay? Like, I can't charge you to do something, right? I, I have no authority over you. I can't say, if you don't read the Bible this week, you're court-martialed. I can't do that, right? This isn't the army. This isn't boot camp. we got to show up here at 5 o'clock in the morning. If you're one minute late, you're out, right? It's, that's not how it works here. However, the task is the same, isn't it? To disciple, to train, to exhort, to rebuke, to correct. But what, I, what could I argue that isn't the task more important to the church than it is to the army? But isn't the army trying to, trying to train you so that you will survive on the battlefield? Aren't we doing the same thing? Aren't we trying to encourage you to be in Christ because the world will try to tell you not to live that way? Isn't it just as similar to a battlefield? And so we want to encourage you through the faith. We want to train you and disciple you in the faith. That is our mission. That is a substance of our mission to disciple is our calling. Discipleship is our calling. To disciple children to senior adults is to, is to disciple all generations. That is the calling, right? Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I command you, and know that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our mission, to disciple you. So when we say get involved in a growth group, we're not doing that because we want our growth group to have a bunch of people in it. We're doing it because we believe it accomplishes discipleship. When we say, hey, go to one of those women's Bible studies, get involved in Fight Club, we're not doing that to visit your week. We're doing that because we want to disciple you. It's our charge. When we say we want you to volunteer and serve, we're not doing that because, gosh, because I'm busy this week, and I just need someone to volunteer and take my place. No, it's a part of discipleship. It's all about discipling you. And what's happening here in this passage? People are really annoyed by this 
efficient. It says here that they, they will not endure sound teaching, right? There are people that are not, he said there's a time that's coming that they will not endure sound teaching that they will want to, they, they basically, they want to hear what feels good. It says they want to, uh, to have according to their own desires, hear teaching according to their own desires, and then therefore will accumulate teachers or teaching that will, and it's it, and this is, this, it says itching the ears. You're like, what does that mean, itching the ears? When it, my ear itches, it's annoyance, right? What it's saying here is it's what pleasures the ears. They want what pleasures them. They want to hear teaching that pleasures them. When we think of pleasure, when I'm not talking sexually, I'm talking about what makes them feel good. What makes them feel good. That's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear anything else. They want to hear what makes them feel good. If any of y'all ever been to Utah or Colorado, you know like during the winter that you can go to bed and in the morning there'd be two or three feet of snow. Snow accumulates very quickly. Even though it seems like it's fallen quite slowly, it'll accumulate over time. When we were in uh, Aspen one year skiing, we were skiing at Snowmass, and we went to bed and it was snowing when we went to bed. When we woke up, there was five feet of snow. I mean, snow accumulates very quickly. And these people are accumulating. I mean, they are, they are, they are putting together a storehouse full of teaching and teachers that make them feel good. And what does it cause them to do? It causes them not to listen to the preaching of the word. And it says they will wander into myth. I love that Paul uses that word. He doesn't say they were wandering into false teaching. Since they're falling into myth. What is a myth? Myth is something that's not true, right? They're following and wandering into things that have no substance, no content that matters. It's, it's Paul is using a word that discredits the teachers, right? You are literally accumulating for yourself teachers that do not matter and have nothing to offer you. That is the problem with the church, is that we we just want to give people what makes them feel good, when that's not our mission, right? Our mission is to disciple. And discipleship isn't like, let me give you the truth, and what doesn't feel good. Paul even says to Timothy, encourage, exhort, comfort. Do it with all patience and with teaching. Do it with all care. And maybe sometimes the church misses that part. Maybe we do it too, too strongly and not without care. So, that is the substance. The third point is the model. What is the model of the mission? What is the model? It's interesting that Paul gives Timothy this charge, and he gives him some things he should do. He should preach the word, he should rebuke, he should prove, he should exhort with patience and with teaching. And he kind of warns them what people are going to want. But then he gives them a model, an example to follow. He says here, after this in verse, verse 6, sorry, verse 5. As for you, talking to, to Timothy, Paul saying, as for you though, you're not going to be one of those teachers who just says and does what makes people feel good, what they, what they want to hear. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. What does sober-minded mean? I mean, we think of sober as not drunk. So that has that is helpful in this in this word. It means don't be controlled by alcohol. Be you know be un, in control. So it is has to do with self-control, but it also has to do with alertness. Be alert. 
Beware. Endure suffering. When you preach the word consistently and persistently, and when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, you will endure suffering. Until Paul said, I am an example of that. I've endured plenty of suffering. I've been thrown in jail. I've been beat. I've been, I've been, uh, I've been stoned. I've done all kinds of things. That people have done all kinds of things to me. I've been put in situations that I do not want to be put in because of my preaching of the word, convenient when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. So he says, be alert, be sober-minded, be self-control. Also, endure suffering. Suffering is going to happen. You're going to be persecuted if you fulfill this mission. Do the work of an evangelist. Proclaim the gospel. Continue to, to plant churches. Continue to, to boldly tell people who are lost, who do not have Jesus, and, and telling them the truth. Telling them that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that we live in a world of sin, and all of us have sin, and that through the grace of Christ, that we put our trust in Christ, death on the cross, and His resurrection, we shall be redeemed and saved. He said, proclaim that. Be an evangelist. Do that. And he says, fulfill your service. Fulfill your calling. Don't waver in your calling. Be faithful in your calling. And then Paul presents the example, the model. He says, I was poured out as a drink offering. Right? I've been poured out as a, as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. What is Paul talking about? He's literally sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. And he tells Timothy, be prepared to sacrifice for the gospel. Yeah, there was a, I was at a conference all week in Florida, and there was a, I was the only lead pastor at the conference. And this guy, one of the guys who was a lawyer, was, was basically saying that he had been offered this position in the church to be an executive pastor, and he's wondering if he should take it or not. And, and I just said to him, I said, be prepared for what you're about to enter into. Be prepared to sacrifice. And he talked about some things that he didn't want to give up, and then I, I kind of said, be prepared to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. You're not going to be paid what you always want to get paid. You may not have the time and the vacation you, you may be expected when you were as a lawyer. You may not be able to do certain things that you're, you're comfortable doing. That the gospel and the ministry and the calling is a sacrifice. And Paul says, be prepared to pour yourself out as an offering. And he's telling Timothy this. He wants to prepare Timothy for this. And he wants to tell him that when we sacrifice in our calling, it's a influence, a power of influence. Think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, right? That's Jesus showing leadership. That is one of the most purest form of leadership that we have. Why? Because it's servant leadership. Jesus doesn't say, I command you to do this. What does he do? He shows them love and says, love others as I've loved you. So what is Paul saying? He said, Timothy, love your ministry. Love your people. Care for your people. Care for God's calling on your life. Be an influence to them. Offer your life as a sacrifice for others. And by that, that people will be influenced through that example, through that model. And so we ought to offer a model of the mission. That, that When we think about discipleship and discipling all generations, we don't say, well, I really only like children, so therefore I'm not going to encourage and be in a discipleship relationship with anyone else because I only like children. You're answering the discipleship question based on what makes you happy, not what God has called us to. 
God has called us to be faithful and to make disciples. And that may mean asking that person that you are kind of <coughs> talking to, asking them and having a relationship with them and encouraging them down through the word. We present our, our bodies as offerings. That is a model of the mission. The last point is the goal of the mission. The goal of the mission. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What is Paul saying? He's saying that I have been faithful to God. I've been faithful to Christ. I've been faithful to the gospel to the end. Nothing has compromised what God has called me to do. I, I want to just tell a simple story. Um, some of you may know this, but I'm in a doctorate program at Southern Seminary. And one of the people are, well, why did you start that? And it's really there's one, one major reason. I read a book by an author. He's a teacher at Southern, or was a teacher at Southern, uh, called Reaching and Teaching. And by reading his book, uh, I asked him about how I can do what he talked about in his book. And he said, you should be a part of this doctorate program. So I joined the program. And I got to know this professor, and I really looked up to him a lot. And uh, last past summer, I, 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 he, got, he, he resigned from his position. And I was wondering why. And I found out later that he had committed an affair with a student at the seminary for 12 years. And I was devastated, right? I mean, like, completely devastated. This is someone I looked up to. I didn't know him, like, intimately, but I went to his class, and I talked to him, and I, I really looked up to him. And he didn't finish the race well, right? Like, his influence is affected now, right? People don't look to him the way that he used to was looked. People like me don't look at him as a leader and an influencer in the ministry. Why? Because he didn't finish well. Paul finished well. He never compromised his influence. And he's telling Timothy, don't compromise your influence. Don't fall into sin. Do not fall into habitual sin. Do not fall into these errors that will, you will lose your influence on people. And you want to end your life, and end your ministry with you want to end it well. You want to finish well. You have to ask yourself the question, are you finishing well? Are you fighting well? Have, or who are you influencing? Have you been faithful to the gospel? Have you compromised your influence? Are you compromising your influence? Are you actually entering into sin that will compromise your influence? He ends here saying, in verse 8, talking about the reward of the mission, there is stored up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will reward him, but not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. He's saying that those who have been faithful to Christ, who have been faithful to the gospel, to the end, will receive the crown of righteousness. And it's obviously not a crown that they earned through their own works. It's something that God offers through Christ. Not only to Paul but also to all who love his appearance, who are looking forward to Christ's coming. Faithfulness is such a major, major part of the Christian life. Are you faithful? Have you fought the fight? Have you finished the race? It's not saying, are you perfect? It's saying, are you striving to be faithful in all the areas, in all the responsibilities in your life? Are you fighting? Are you striving? Are you persevering to be faithful? Have you loved? Have you cared? Can I be honest? We, 
you may think at our church we probably talk about giving too much. We have like four different ways you can give. As opposed to like, hey, make sure you give. Let me tell you, that is not because we want your money. It's because the church is the disciple makers, and we are called to help you be faithful. Be faithful. And giving is an area of faithfulness. Why? Because if you're not giving and you're not generous, you know what that means? It means you're selfish. You're selfish because you believe you have control over your money and, your, and everything that you have, and God has no authority over you. And that is just false. It's false. It's false. We are commanded by Scripture to make disciples. And one of those areas is to help you not be greedy. Because someone who is greedy is not Christless. And it's not faithful to God's Word. The reason why we talk about volunteering and service is, again, it's a part of discipleship. It's a part about faithfulness. We want you to be devoted to Christ's church. So that's why we ask you to volunteer to serve, because you need to as a part of your discipleship. You know, I, kind of in conclusion here, we're talking about the mission of our church, discipling, leaving a legacy of faith. We always ask the question, how are we doing? Like, well, what do we do here? I'm talking about that a lot. What are we doing, Lord, to help, help make disciples? What are we doing... To, 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 to create this outcome of discipleship. Well, the first thing is worship, right? Coming to worship on Sunday morning. The reason why, again, we want to encourage you to come is because it's important a part of your discipleship. When you come here and you and you worship with, with fellow believers, when you come under the, under the authority of God's word, when you when you take the Lord's supper, when you when you join with others, when you give on a regular basis, that is a part of your discipleship. And if you're not attending church very rarely, I'll be honest, you're not doing well as a disciple. That's why we encourage you to come to church. It's part of your discipleship. Why we encourage you to give is a part of your discipleship. The reason why we want you to be a part of a growth group is because it's a part of your discipleship. We want, we want those growth groups to multiply. Why? Because when more growth groups are multiplied, that means more groups are growing, more leaders are being, being established of those growth groups, and those growth groups are looking to share the gospel with their friends and their neighbors to bring them into the growth group. That's why we want to multiply growth groups. The reason why we want to have discipleship relationships, the reason why pastors like me and Ditton and Robert or some of our, our, some of our women leaders, the reason why we want you to be a part of discipleship is because that helps in your discipling, how we make you as a disciple. One of the things that we've been talking about is encouraging you to read the Bible. <coughs> And one of the things that we're going to be bringing in the next few months is just encourage you to read the God's Word. Why? Because it helps in your discipleship. We want to help you be a disciple of Christ. And so we do these things not just to do activities and programs. The church is not a social club, okay? The church is not a business. We're, not a, we're actually not even a nonprofit, right? We are Christ's church. And so therefore we are created to what? Make a disciple. So everything that we do is to make disciples. And that's why we encourage you in all these different matters. That's why we encourage you to attend church. That's why we encourage you to get involved. It's because we want to make you a disciple. We're not trying to just waste your time. We're not. We don't want to waste your time. We just want to fulfill and be faithful to God's calling on this church. And that is to make disciples of all generations. To live a legacy of faith by loving people and engaging our culture with the glory of God. 
and we do those things. And that's why we share the gospel, we preach the gospel faithfully. That's why we encourage you to be to have um, godly character and have gospel character. The reason why we encourage us to come together as a community of people is to be a disciple through community. The reason why we encourage you to, to go out and share the gospel with us is because it's a part of our discipleship. As, as we become a disciple, we are called to make disciples. And so that is our mission. And as I end this series, as we get to the book of Luke next week, some of y'all, we have encouraged y'all to come to the membership class. You really need to come. <coughs> You really need to come. You've come to church here for quite a while, and you don't know very much about the heart of our church. And we want you to be a part of that. So it's right after the service today. It'll be 30 minutes. You can ask questions about the church, about the history, and about the beliefs of the church, and why we do what we do. There's a reason for what, reason why we do what we do. We want you to be a part of that. We want you to hear about it. And if you've never become a member, I think you need to hear what the true heart of this church is. So, again, that's after service today. It'll be 30 minutes long. And so let me pray for us as we enter this time of response through communion. Good Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what you've truly called us to do, which is to make disciples. And Lord, you have helped us and you've given us ideas to create opportunities, Lord, for disciple-making. Lord, we are just trying to be faithful to that. We're just trying to be humble stewards of your mission, Lord. And I pray for the people in this room, Lord, as they get involved, as they, you know, somewhat hold back when they, you know, they just don't truly embrace what you're doing here, Lord. I pray that you would just encourage them to do that. Just encourage them to come to this class after church, Lord. For those in this room who are not followers of Christ, Lord, we are not called here to entertain. We are not called here to itch people's ears. We are called here to be faithful to the preaching of your word. And those who have never put their faith in Christ, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would listen to the truth of the gospel, that they would hear, Lord, that you have saved them through your son, Jesus, that you offer your son as the as the payment for their sins, that they put their faith in Christ, they were saved and redeemed and have eternal life. I pray, Lord, that they would believe that. If they don't believe it, that they would just ask and talk to me or Denton or Robert. We would love to talk to them. We'd love to pray for them. We'd love to explain to them that what is the gospel and why it's good news. For those in this room who are Christian, but they're living in sin, and they're far from you, Lord, that you would draw them here through your grace. As the prodigal son who was so far from his father, and the only, only, only place he could, he could think that he could go was to go back home, or that you would bring them home. They have nothing to offer you. You ask nothing. You just ask that they would come back, and that they would trust you, and see that you are good. Believe in you, Lord. And follow. I pray that you would do that. We praise you. We love you. And do this thing. Amen.